0: This is The Guardian.
1: A few weeks ago, I went for a walk in my local park. It was one of those early spring days. Bright sun, cold air, daffodils just starting to come out. So when I spotted a special section devoted to nature, Admittedly, for young kids, I thought, why not take a stroll? But when I was in there, I noticed something funny. There wasn't actually that much nature in comparison to the rest of the park. I looked down at my feet and realized most of the trail was laid with fake plastic grass. Needless to say, I was surprised and immediately went on social media to call for a ban. I might be in the minority with that opinion though. Fake grass is becoming increasingly popular for keeping green spaces perfectly green. But what are the environmental impacts of our love of fake grass? Could it even be affecting our health? And should we actually be giving up the idea of the perfect lawn altogether? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly.
2: My garden is sort of prime target for plastic grass because it's a very small garden. It faces not north, it faces east, but it, still, it doesn't get much sunshine. There's a big apple
1: tree. That's Sam Wollaston, a feature writer for The Guardian. He was recently tasked with finding out more about artificial grass to see if it would help with fixing up his own garden.
2: There's enough kind of noise out there against plastic grass for me to realise that it might not be the best thing to do.
1: Even if you weren't necessarily thinking about putting it down, there are a lot of people who do want artificial grass. So how popular is it?
2: Research last year from 2022 found that 10% of UK homeowners with outside space had replaced at least some of their gardens' natural lawn with artificial grass. And a further 29%, so that's nearly a third of people, are or would consider doing it. So the global artificial turf market grew 8% last year, and that's to $4.87 billion. That's globally, and obviously that includes grass for sport surfaces, which is a slightly different issue. Uh, but that is expected to go to 6.83 billion by 2027. So we are slowly uh, plasticking over the planet.
1: And you spoke to some Guardian readers who have artificial lawns. What did they say about their experience with it?
2: Yeah, so we did a shout out to um, Guardian readers and I think about 200 or so responded and some of them said it was the best thing they'd ever done some like mine had small patches of grass that just didn't grow children came up quite a lot football came up a lot and uh, dogs interestingly people said that they had dogs that dug up their grass and and then brought mud into the house but some of them had a sort of you know did it with a kind of slightly guilty feeling as well and some of them had sort of done things to try and offset it like plant more stuff round the edges and as soon as their kids grew up or they didn't have a dog, they would get rid of it and plant beautiful wildflower meadows instead.
1: So when you've got kids or dogs, it's going to be less messy and less muddy. But did you hear from anyone who got it and actually also found that there were some downsides?
2: Yes, there were plenty, actually. The people who try and sell it to you, are they all say it's completely maintenance free you. you don't have to do anything. Well, you do, actually, because it gets dirty and you have to brush it. You have to get the leaves off it. Dogs still poo and wee all over artificial grass. And actually, it's more disgusting on artificial grass because it kind of stays there. You can take it off real grass and then it kind of becomes part of the lawn and breaks down. Whereas in artificial grass, you just have dog poo. It's stuck in it and you have to get rid of it. Heat was another big thing. They say it heats up a lot, especially in last summer when you know it was hitting those terrible temperatures and, and, and it just became impossible to walk on it. It gets much, much hotter than real grass.
1: So fake grass can be a help if you do want that evergreen lawn look. But it's not the garden panacea it's often sold as. Then there's the environmental side. My first reaction to seeing the fake grass in the park was, surely replacing plants with plastic can't be good? But how bad is it really? Rob Francis, you're a Professor of Urban Ecology and Society at King's College London, and you've looked at some of the environmental impacts of artificial grass. Let's start at the beginning. When this stuff is being made... What do we need to be thinking about there?
0: It depends very much on, on, on where it's made, but there'll be quite a bit of impact in terms of the carbon footprint that's used in its manufacture. It's obviously constructed from plastics, which is you know derived from fossil fuel, from, from oil. And then, of course, there's a lot of water and other sorts of materials that go into its manufacture, and then its distribution and installation. So there's very little research that's taken place into the carbon footprint or the environmental footprint of its manufacture so far. So very little is known about that. But of course, that is likely to be a significant type of impact.
1: And then there's what artificial grass is made of, because there have been recent reports about the toxic chemicals that are used in some kinds of artificial grass, including forever chemicals, PFAS, And the concerns around the carcinogenic and health impacts those might have. So there's definitely important questions there. But I'd like to ask you about the plastic problem generally, because this has also got to be an issue, right?
0: Yeah so of course the the plastic issue is a a significant one in terms of the amount of pollution that's released from our use of plastics. Of course the the plastic itself has all sorts of potential environmental impacts in terms of not just the, the environmental impact of the lawn but the microplastics that can be released from the lawn as it wears over time. There's also an issue around things like rubber crumb but the rubber crumb tends to be associated with the sports pitches the sort of astroturf and that's not used so much in domestic lawns but nonetheless there is quite a lot of plastic material in that grass that will eventually eventually degrade and start to contribute to the microplastic load in the surrounding urban environment, which of course may have health impacts for people potentially as well.
1: And what about at the end of its life when the grass needs replaced?
0: The recycling issue in terms of the the life cycle of the grass is a particularly important one because at the minute there isn't any real way of recycling that grass that's being used. When it is removed it just tends to go to landfills so that, that plastic isn't really being recycled.
1: Another thing about plastic is that it's waterproof. What do we know about its impact on water absorbency?
0: Yeah, so lawns are, p- are quite important in terms of regulating the amount of rainfall that makes its way from the city into the surrounding drainage network. If you like, so they're they, they to sort of like sponges to to soak up that rainfall. First of all, one key thing to note is that the topsoil underneath the lawn, when the plastic grass is installed, if it's installed professionally, is replaced with sort of sand and, and pebbles and things like that to try to improve the drainage. But the grass itself, the water will drain through it because there are drainage holes. But because it is plastic, it's nowhere near as effective as a living lawn. This could potentially become an issue, especially urban areas are you know, increasingly susceptible to flooding events. And with climate change, you know, as we're moving towards very hot, dry summers and warmer, wetter winters, you know, the amount of water that's entering an urban drainage network is increased dramatically.
1: And as you said, the climate crisis is bringing extremes of weather. So what about that alternative you mentioned? sunshine. How does artificial grass do there?
0: Obviously it retains um, the heat much more effectively than the natural grass. And natural grass would have a cooling effect on the microclimate around it through evapotranspiration. Plastic will obviously absorb that heat and retain it for longer. So there's been some studies for example in Hong Kong which has shown that plastic grass can reach sort of about 72 degrees Celsius when the sunlight is, uh, you know, is directed on it at sort of noontime, compared to about 36 degrees for living grass. So it's, it's far hotter. So it certainly doesn't help the urban heat island effect.
1: Then, of course, Rob, there's the question of biodiversity. How does this factor in?
0: Lawns aren't you know, the most biodiverse type of ecosystem, but nonetheless they are extremely abundant. They cover about 10 to 20% of the urban land surface, uh, on average, across many cities in the global north. They have a certain amount of use for biodiversity in terms of the different types of plants that grow on the lawn itself, but also the underground biodiversity. So a lot of insects, for example, you know, will have part of their life cycle in the soil under the, the surface of the grass, and they will emerge uh, at different points of the year You as know, their adult stage. And of course, that will be restricted. Of course, I've mentioned before the, the replacing of the soil itself with sand uh, and gravel which will of course have an impact on the the habitat suitability there's been no scientific research that's really looked at the impact it might have on on the microbes or the the fungi or any of those sorts of things that you would um, find in the soil that perform very important functions
1: have you spoken to any companies that make plastic grass about these issues and are they aware of them What what are their thoughts on all of this
0: we have spoken to some. I mean, we're trying to get some collaborative research going because they they are aware, I think, of the potential environmental impacts that can result from the installation of the grass. The Ones that we've spoken to have been very aware of the the kind of life cycle and the need to ensure that when it comes time for the grass to be removed, that it could be recycled and that it's designed in ways that might be more environmentally friendly and so on. But in some situations, you know, it can transform the use of the garden. If you're elderly or disabled, for example, it could make make sure that you can use it in the way that you particularly like. You don't need to maintain it quite so much. Although that's only. Partly true because it does require some level of maintenance. You do need to clean plastic grass and so on. But there is huge demand for it. And I think companies are they are aware of this and they are trying to work with scientists to try to find the best way forward for continued use of the product.
1: Rob, there's obviously a lot more research that needs to be done to quantify exactly what the environmental impacts are. But from everything you've said, maybe there's a bigger question here about the place of lawns real or fake in our gardens if we did away with the idea of needing to have you know a nice neat patch of grass people might not be so inclined to go for the plastic version what do you make of that
0: i would love that um personally i don't think there's any need to have uh, a lawn that is comprised mainly of grass grass monoculture is it's a cultural artifact that we've had for hundreds of years it's sort of the sort of english pastoral Ideal, if you like, it's a mini snapshot of a pastoral English landscape in, in the lawn. But there's lots and lots of other things that could be done. So there's a, a tapestry lawn or a grass-free lawn, which is comprised of wildflowers, which can be just as soft, just as usable and very picturesque. You want more chaotic, complex wild sort of habitats really in the green space that we have because we're losing green space all the time. Urban areas are ironically some of the areas where certain types of species are thriving because the agricultural landscapes have very limited habitat and also there's a lot of use of pesticides and things like that. But... The main component of a garden is the lawn. And if we don't have the lawn, you could replace it with lots of other types of plants, which would create even more habitat for these species. And I think would also allow younger generation, for example, to embrace a more wilder type of nature. Um, you know, there's no need for it to be quite as manicured and green and perfect all the time because nature's not like
2: that. Mm-hmm.
1: Sam, when we really need to improve the state of nature and biodiversity, plastic grass ultimately seems to go against this. Do you think it ever could just be outright banned
2: well there are, there are plans michael gove is planning to prevent developers from laying fake grass in new housing schemes that's one element where it's used the chelsea fowl show also banned fake grass from their displays last year so there is that kind of you know, tide i think could it ever be banned? it probably should be i have no idea whether it will be or not
1: so going back to your garden after speaking to the experts have you decided what to do
2: So someone I spoke to was Lynn Marcos. She's the co-chair of something called the Society of Garden Designers. And she gave me some ideas like just accepting that not all gardens could have this perfect lawn element to it. And you can plant shrubs. You can have more of a kind of woodland feel to it. And that's something else one of the horticultural people I spoke to talked about. It was about the kind of need to control nature in your garden and be the kind of boss but actually you should sort of let go a bit and you know it doesn't matter if things get a bit longer or a bit drier or a bit muddy that's all part of it and i think what i will do is i just accept that my grass is a bit of a mess and let it grow longer and love it for what it is
1: thanks to both sam williston and to professor rob francis we've put a link to sam's article about fake grass on the podcast webpage. At TheGuardian.com. And that's it for today. The producers were me, Madeline Finley, and Ned Carter Miles. The sound design was by Joel Cox, and the executive producer was Danielle Stevens. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then.
2: This is The Guardian.
1: Die Preise gehen nur noch rauf, rauf, rauf. Puh, ich glaube, ich muss erst mal wieder runterkommen.
2: Mit Kongstar. Hier steigen nicht die Preise, nur das Datenvolumen. Jedes Jahr, ganz von allein, ganz ohne Aufpreis. Zum Beispiel bei der Kongstar Allnet ZM. Jetzt mit 18 Gigabyte für nur 22 Euro im Monat. Auf Kongstar.de